Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 176, Future Imperfect. Welcome in to the very last episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Uh, wait, the, the last episode? I know, right? I mean, 20 years from, golly, the first episode of TOS all the way to the virtual reality CBS net, you know, thing. What, a, what an amazing ride it's been, man. Wait, because, all right, the last episode I remember doing was Reunion mm-hmm. this week. So the, this week is supposed to be Future Imperfect. No, oh, okay, let's do that one. I, I yeah, I really wasn't ready to be done anyway, so that's uh, that's totally fine. Okay. Uh, so in a moment, you're going to do trivia. You know, assuming that you mm-hmm. do it the way we've done it for the last twenty some odd. I, I mean, however many years we've been doing it. Uh, first, though, let me let people know how to get in touch with us because there's still plenty of time to do that. Apparently, uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you want to leave us a voicemail, you can. The number is 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember that we may use your comments on, um, well, surprisingly, an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Uh, give it a day or two, though, because we're going to have to start all of those old modes of technology uh, back up. Or, I mean, you know... <laughs> Just like it always is. Uh, so you've got a, a trivia, uh, I guess, John. Yeah, you know, and it, to me, it still feels fresh. In fact, I have to say that I, I don't even feel twenty years older. But um, wow, that, I guess that's technology for you. Well, you don't look a day over twenty years older. Good. Uh, today's episode, Future Imperfect, was written by J. Larry Carroll and David Bennett Caron, who wrote as a team for many years. Uh, Larry is best known for writing cartoons, Dennis the Menace uh, from the 80s, She-Ra, G.I. Joe, Thundercats, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and so much more. Um, he also wrote for Jerry Anderson's Space Precinct and four episodes of Tech War based on William Shatner's book series. Now, David Caron's credits likewise match most of those that J. Larry Carroll had. Um, and he also wrote one of my favorite episodes of Buck Rogers, The, the Return of the Fighting 69th. Um, and this story, Future Imperfect, was just sold on a pitch. Riker wakes up 15 years later and has no idea what happened. Done. <laughs> That's what sold the story. <laughs> the part with the Romulans came later. That was uh, a Michael Pillar edition. And... Um, Speaking of writing and speaking of Michael Piller, we've talked before about Pillar Filler. That's uh, Michael Piller's incredible ability to write scenes that were there just to stretch the show out for timing, but they're really good. Uh, the scene of Riker and his son in the turbo lift, uh, Riker talking about his relationship with his own father, that was Pillar Filler written the night before it was filmed. That is crazy. I know, right? <laughs> that's that's Michael Pillar for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the episode is directed by Les Landau, and we've talked about Les Landau's contributions to Next Gen many times. Um, now, let's get into the episode. You probably recognize the well-known jazz number, Misty, at least the, the few notes of it that Riker is butchering on the trombone. Of course, that comes back a couple of times in the episode. Um, we have more reuse of those Borg set pieces redressed this time for the Romulan base uh, that we see in the latter half of the episode. Um, nice little details that you can read in the high-def version of Riker's service record. If you kind of freeze frame and dig through that, um, you have him taking command of the USS Titan. And then you have the number 47, which recurs all over Star Trek. I think we've mentioned that before. We won't mention all of them because there are just a million <laughs> of those 47s. Uh, but there's a mention of 47 Starfleet officers that he saved from the Romulans. So um, if you freeze frame, there are two shots with different information in them. And you can get a little uh, future biographical sketch of Riker. 
And let's talk about the guest stars. Of course, we have Andreas Katsoulis back as Tomalak. Uh, apparently, he wasn't thrilled with the idea of coming back this way. He was happier with his more menacing portrayal in The Enemy and The Defector when he was just a giant face on the screen. And uh, we also have to say welcome back to Carolyn McCormick, who we last saw as Minuet, but here plays Min. Uh, now, there's a transporter chief who is not O'Brien. He is played by George O'Hanlon Jr. His father was the voice of George Jetson. Hmm. George Jr. has a pretty extensive career himself. Guest roles on MASH, Chips, Magnum P.I., and Lost, plus a recurring role on the Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew Mysteries. And if you're looking for your weird Star Trek crossover connection, Hardy Boys starred Sean Cassidy, who we all remember did that spectacularly weird lyrical version of Ilea's theme from Star Trek The Motion Picture. We are also introducing Patty Yasutake, who plays Nurse Ogawa here, and we will see many more appearances of her in that role. In addition to Star Trek, you may have caught Patty in guest roles on ER, Bones, Boston Legal, The Closer, and much more. Now, it is funny that she appears here in a future alternative version of the Enterprise, but she was well-liked and brought back not 15 years younger. She was just brought back, and she had been reading for other roles on Trek for a long time and even got offered one role that she couldn't take due to a schedule conflict. Um, Incidentally, you can look up her commercial in character as Nurse Ogawa for Hallmark Keepsake Ornaments, on YouTube. Um, oh, and, and it is apocryphal that she is Sulu's great great granddaughter. That was something she mentioned to George kind of in passing as a joke. And finally, Chris Demetral as Ethan. He was in a show I loved on uh, HBO called Dream On, in which he played Martin Tupper's son. Uh, in addition to many TV guest roles and a recurring role on Lois and Clark, he was the star of an overlooked TV show. He was Jules Verne in The Secret Adventures of Jules Verne. Now, he retired from acting in the early 2000s, but continues to work as an editor. <laughs> An amazing point to this episode. According to Captain Picard, everything that happens takes about an hour. Let us let Ken recount it. Prologue. The Enterprise is conducting a security survey of the Onias sector along the neutral zone. They're pretty close to Romulan space, but all's quiet on the Onias front. In 10 Ford, things are far from quiet. It's Will Riker's birthday. There's cake, camaraderie, Riker on the trombone. Ah, that one note and an otherwise soulful-sounding misty. Picard and Data are on their way to the party when... Huh, the Enterprise is being probed, originating on the third planet of the Alpha Onias system. Not supposed to be anything there. And Picard wonders whether the rumors of a secret Romulan base in the area could be true. Hate to break up the party, birthday boy, but I'll need you to lead an away team to check it out. Geordi, Worf, and Riker beam down to the planet where they find trouble from the word go. No signs of the energy readings data sensed from the Enterprise, but lots of gases that could be toxic to most life forms and interference between the away team and the ship. The Enterprise tries to beam the three out, but has trouble establishing a lock. They must get them eventually, though. Will wakes up in sickbay, being seen to by a much older-looking Dr. Crusher. She is glad that Captain Riker remembers her. I'm sorry, Captain Who? Act 1. That's not toothpaste in his beard, that is gray. Beverly's not the only one who looks older. That's because it's been 16 years since the admission to Alpha Onias 3. Beverly explains that an Altarian encephalitis contracted on the planet has led to his memory loss. That can happen. A bad flare-up and people can lose all of their memories. Back to the moment that the virus was contracted. Riker has been captain of the Enterprise for nine years. How does he get his memories back? Well, he might not. Though Beverly says the best hope is to have Will just live his life. Something in his daily doings may jog his memory. Fire up the old synapses to fill in the gaps. Beverly wants to start the associative therapy right away and suggests a trip to his quarters, though Riker says his life has always been on the bridge. He'd rather start there. He orders the turbo lift that way and gets a glitchy response from the computer. Jordy's been running a level one diagnostic to figure out what's going on. Jordy and Worf were fine, in case you're wondering. Neither one was affected by the virus. Jordy's looking good, by the way. No longer wearing that banana clip on his face. 
He hasn't needed his visor since he got his cloned implants. Worf's doing well. Nasty scar on his cheek, but otherwise fine. And Data has changed pajamas. He's no longer wearing engineering gold, now in command red. He's first officer of the Enterprise. Their conversation is interrupted by the uncloaking of a Romulan warbird. Riker command, shields up, red alert. Then Data tells Riker they were expecting the Decius. Awkward. Cancel red alert. The Decius is hailing the Enterprise. Answering the call, they are greeted by Admiral Picard and Counselor Troy. A few pleasantries and the two are beaming over, which is when they find out how bad the effects of the Altarian virus have been. That he remembers nothing would be bad no matter what, but this is seriously happening at the worst possible time. See, Riker was just about to wrap up negotiations and sign a treaty with the Romulans. It was four years ago. A Romulan battlecruiser straight into Federation space. No warp. Life support failing. Riker and the Enterprise saved the crew, which impressed the Romulans. They started to talk. With the Federation in general, though with Riker as chief spokesperson. They are seriously on the verge of an alliance. But Riker's got to be the one to close the deal. They'll get going as soon as the Romulan ambassador beams over from the Decius. Troy says she'll take Riker to his quarters, which is fine with him. He's had enough surprises for one day. So, of course, one more surprise. Will Riker, this is your son. Act 2. Doesn't take long for young Jean-Luc Riker to realize that his father doesn't remember him. Troy asked the boy to give them a minute. Okay, don't be mad. I didn't tell you you had a son because Dr. Crusher thought a sudden jolt might jumpstart the memories. Tiana says Jean-Luc is a wonderful boy. His mother, a former ship's counselor named Min, was a wonderful woman. She was a perfect captain's wife. Yeah, was. She died two years ago in a shuttle accident. She was counselor on the Enterprise after Troy went to work with Admiral Picard at Starfleet Command. Anyway, Troy says what's important now is that Will has a son who needs him. Spend time with the boy. You may find a bit of what you lost. And with that, Riker falls right into being a dad, helping young Jean-Luc practice his trombone. Still can't hit that note in Misty, though. Will moves on to read his own service record. Or he would if the computer wasn't so buggy. What's taking Geordi so long with that diagnostic? The record comes up that the perusal will have to wait. The Romulan ambassador is ready to beam over. Young Jean-Luc assures his father that everything is going to be fine as Will heads to the transporter room to welcome... Are you kidding me, Ambassador Tomalak? Tomalak accepts Admiral Picard's greeting, saying what an honor it is to be the first Romulan to be able to walk freely around a Federation starship. Well, that weirds Riker out, though Troy points out that a lot has changed, including Tomalak. Tomalak is really looking forward to getting this treaty signed at Starfleet's Outpost 23. This will be a great alliance for the Romulans and the Federation, thanks largely to the negotiating of Captain Riker. Yeah, this is really all too much. Riker passes Tomalak off to Data so he can have a word with Picard and Troy. What if all this is just Tomalak trying to get the location of Outpost 23? It's the key to all of the Federation's defenses in the neutral zone. Boy, that 16-year memory gap, huh? Picard says Outpost 23 hasn't been quite that important for a long time now. Additionally, Troy says she senses no duplicity in Tomalak. His desire for peace is sincere. It's then that Riker gets a call from sickbay. His son has been injured. He'd better get down there right away. Act 3. Really wasn't that big a deal. The kid broke his wrist playing Parisi squares, but broken bones are quickly mended in the 24th century. Riker scolds his son, though Beverly pulls him aside and offers some advice. Chill. Riker says this whole thing is tough for him. This is kind of his first day being a dad. Beverly says, you think you've got problems? Jean-Luc lost his mother a couple of years ago, and now he's pretty much lost his father, too. The boy apologizes to Riker. I know you have more important things to do. Riker disagrees, saying, there's nothing more important than this, son. This leads to more of a heart-to-heart. Riker says when he was Jean-Luc's age, his father wasn't there for him. Will was always afraid to have a kid of his own, though. He must have gotten over that, since here's his kid. It's important to him that he never let his son down. And his son says, he never has. 
Riker says we'll have to take his word for that. He wants to remember. Oh, well, they can start building new memories. Riker suggests an old holodeck program that it turns out the whole family used to enjoy, fishing and picnicking at Curtis Creek. Riker asks the boy what his mother was like. The kid got sullen. She was great. I think of her a lot. And he's pretty much done talking about that. Finally, it occurs to Riker to look for a picture of his lost wife, Min. Ah, stupid laggy computer. Though Jean-Luc is able to get the computer to show his mom. And there's the family. Jean-Luc, Will, and Min. Or more formally, Minuet. You remember her. She's not real. Riker is called to the bridge where he starts quizzing everyone. Jordy, there's no way the computer diagnostic should be taking you so long. What gives? Worf, where'd you get that scar? And when did you get that scar? Yeah, Worf can offer details. Riker peppers Data with a number of questions, though Data says he can't operate as quickly. Yeah, that's right. Data said can't. Data cannot say can't. Picard and Troy try to calm Riker, but he will not be mollified. Who wants to end this charade? Tomalak says he'll do it. The charade is over. The Enterprise and her crew dissolve, leaving Riker and Tomalak in an apparent holodeck. Act 4. Riker is as young as ever. Tomalak and his people were able to build a fictitious life for Riker using neural scanners and a holodeck. Where did we go wrong, though? Of course, the answer is Minuet. Tomalak doesn't believe it. She is totally real as far as Riker's concerned. Well, she is, but she isn't. Mostly isn't. Now Riker has a question. If it was the location of Outpost 23 you wanted, why didn't you just neural scan it out of my head? Tomalak says there were gaps in Riker's memory, though Riker doubts it. The recreation of the Enterprise was perfect. We're wasting time, says Tomalak, and orders Riker brought with him. Brought with him to meet his son, Jean-Luc. Except he's never actually met the kid. Tomalak says they just used the boy's image for the simulation. Tomalak puts Riker in the kid's cell and leaves. The kid is freaked out and keeps running from Riker. Eventually, though, they talk. The boy's name is Ethan. He and his parents were kidnapped from a research station on the edge of the neutral zone. Now his parents are gone. He doesn't know why he's being kept. He just wants to get away. Riker says he'll make that happen. Though Ethan says they'll just find them like they did the last time that he escaped. He knows a secret hiding place, you see, though he was caught when he came out for food. Tomalak's back and he's done waiting. He wants the location of Outpost 23. He's been authorized to use whatever force necessary, though this bit of monologuing is interrupted by Ethan and Riker, overpowering Tomalak and his guard, grabbing a phaser, and escaping to Ethan's hiding place. Act 5. They've evaded capture, though it seems a bit too easy for Riker. Still, they seem safe. Ethan explains what happened last time. He mapped everything out last time he escaped. They can't steal a shuttle because they'd just be caught again. Riker says they could sneak into communications and send a message to the Enterprise, but Ethan says that wouldn't work. The communications are keyed to respond only to the voice of Ambassador Tomalak. Oh, except the kid shouldn't know that he was ever called Ambassador. That was just for Riker's simulation, which the kid was supposedly not in. No time for that now, though. Ethan says the Romulans have found them. But Riker says he's done playing. He tosses Tomalak the phaser he picked up earlier and says he is through. This time it's the Romulans and their base that disappear, leaving just Riker, Ethan, and Alpha Onias Three. It was the kid all along, and he finally levels with Riker. He's lonely. He and his mother were chased by someone. She left him here so their enemies would never find him, though they did find her. What she left him with was a holodeck and the neural scanners. They read his mind and give him everything he wants, just like they tried to do with Riker. But what Ethan wants is someone real. He thought Riker would be happy. Riker says he has to return to his ship, but the boy should come with him. The boy, who it turns out is a bug-eyed monster, sort of like one of the greys from the X-Files or one of the aliens from Close Encounters, except with clothes. He says his name is Barash, though Riker says, to me, 
you'll always be Jean-Luc. To the transport. The end. Cloned eyes, Ken. Cloned eyes. Cloned eyes. Okay, here's the thing. After this whole charade is over, Riker gets back to the Enterprise and he says, Jordy, I've got an idea. <laughs> and then because, somebody, oh, and then, but then somebody has to say, yeah, we can't have this thing against cloning in the Federation. Doesn't count. Doesn't count. Because <laughs> it's, it's just the eyes. We're just yeah. going to clone parts. We're not going to clone a whole. No, seriously. Yeah. Yeah, because it, this isn't Back to the Future. It's not like you, you run into danger because you might change the course of history. It's not that. This is a fake future. Right. So whatever Riker learned, he could use. He could use it as a tool. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. Assuming he actually learned anything, but yes. He learned about the eyes. Well, it's, it's an idea. Here's the thing, it though. Is. Well, okay. Yes. Because, like, you know, sometime way, way, way in the future, if Jordy goes off and he gets those eyes, and Riker's like, oh, I should have told you about that 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Good point, that. Yeah. 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 By the way, um, I wanted to mention, and I, I didn't say it in trivia, but uh, Ethan's true form as the alien Barash, mm-hmm. that's not actually Chris Demetral. So that was a costume inhabited by Dana Chulander, who was a friend of Michael Westmore. Okay. And he called her in just because they needed somebody who was the right height, um, but was also old enough that they could work on set all day. <laughs> because if you've got a kid in your show and they have very limited hours that they can work, you don't want them to hang around any more than they have to. So um, Michael Westmore got his friend Dana to come in. She wore the costume. This is her only credit. Was Okay. Was that really an all-day job, though, or was it just they couldn't go the extra hour with the kid? No, yeah, it, exactly. It was just you don't go uh, any more hours than you possibly have to with a kid. Okay. So so if you shoot the stuff with a kid in that room and that's a half day, great, get them out of there. Okay. Put in, put in the other actor. i got to say there are a lot of decent moments uh, in this episode, but there was one moment that just seemed so incredibly genuine to me that I wonder, like I wish I could ask what was actually happening in that moment. Hmm. It was at the birthday party. When okay. he blows out the candles and and Troy says, "Oh, she said, what did you wish for?" Right? Yeah, so, and yeah. <laughs> and then they both start to crack up. I, I couldn't help wondering, honestly, if it was Frakes about to say something off color to Sirtis, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to Riker saying something to Troy. Uh, whatever, whatever the case, though, it was just a great moment. It was honestly, it, it, it like felt like this incredibly genuine moment that could have just been them about to go into a blooper reel instead. Right, right, right. It's rare to get a laugh that genuine yeah. on film. Yeah, especially so, from both of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was pretty yeah, well that, done. That was good. I love that moment. Um, more about Commander Riker. Man, we, we get it. He's terrible at eggs and yeah. terrible at the trombone. See, I, okay, two things. Mm-hmm. I disagree that he's terrible at the trombone. I dare say he plays better than you. Oh, absolutely. Or he does, me. But yeah. I, I, it was one right. note. It was one note. I mean, he, he's using even that, that bell thing, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's already you've graduated from just doing the scales like his kid was doing. Right. right? But, but yeah, he, he does mess up that one thing. Uh, the other thing, I apologize, it actually doesn't have to do with the trombone, but it still has to do with the uh, birthday party. Mm-hmm. Um, that is an amazingly ugly cake. <laughs> it's an incredibly <laughs> it's, ugly cake. It's a here's your gray cake. Yes, very gray, and it was just a sheet cake. And I get, you know, maybe nobody cares, and we got a lot of people coming. But you know, yeah. if they have a replicator, I yeah. would think you would replicate either something with color or something with shape, or you could be nuts and like a Foo Fighters album and do the color and the shape. I'm just saying. Yeah, <laughs> Re- replicate just, something better. Right. I here's, get it. here's a big slab of. It's as if they went to Costco. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like on the lunch break because somebody forgot it was Riker's birthday. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, make sure that it's a neutral enough color that it doesn't clash with whatever else is in our incredibly <laughs> neutral set." Uh, okay, how about gray? Yeah, oh, sure. This is sure. Like, in this the is future like revenge for all of those uh, colored squares that they ate in the original series. Right, right. Because in the future, if you're going to have birthday cake, it's going to be space cake, and you'll eat it with a space fork. Hey, um, speaking of things that stood out, I, I never list all the guest stars because, frankly, there's a lot of uncredited people in there. But um, this one was just sort of one that stood out to me, an actor who stood out to me, just because his delivery was so odd. Gleason, 
who mm-hmm. we saw one time before in Best of Both Worlds Part 2. He's the guy on the bridge who tells Picard about the subspace fluctuations okay. uh, on, on the planet below. He's played by Todd Merrill. Now, I, I'm not making fun of the actor. You never know what was going on on set. You, you don't know what the actor's background is. But I think he was given some very strange direction. Okay. Because Picard kind of walks by it, and this guy who's like stiff as a board. Yeah. Just sort of like it's not like the head turns it's like the whole body it's like he's on a weird pivot yeah he turns and it's not quite like a Pee Wee herman paging mr herman <laughs> it's not quite that dry or but it's just odd and yeah. you can't wait for them to to get him out of there which they do and then data who seems so much more natural and non-robotic than gleason steps up <laughs> to the uh, yeah to the to the monitor to see what's going on well here's the thing though i mean we're at season four now Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Star Trek The Next Generation is established at this point. I mean, this is a huge show now. And additionally, that is not only is that uh, Captain Picard, that's also Patrick Stewart. Cut the guy some slack. That's all I'm saying. OK. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I had a question about uh, sort of the alternate universe that, uh, that we inhabit with uh, with uh, Captain Riker. Mm-hmm. What is that position that Data usually sits in? It's not tactical. Uh, tactical is where Worf normally stands. No, he, he's at ops. He's at yeah. ops. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I really miss, and I'm sure Michael Dorn did as well, when they had the recliners at ops. Because oh, yeah. he looks like Billy Madison when he went back to the first grade. Yeah. <laughs> he's like hunched the heck over ops. It's like, yeah. I felt like he was, you know, like they had like shrunk uh, his station. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's something they do yeah. in the future. I don't know, or maybe it's, maybe it's do, I don't know. Do Klingons keep growing? <laughs> maybe they do. Maybe that's what happened. But maybe they do because yeah. apparently they become you know six year old kids in the course of about two years. That's that true. We know that's true. That we know. Yeah, I like how in Sick Bay Beverly tells the replicator water three degrees Celsius mm-hmm. because at least you know first of all she specified what temperature scale. Yeah, you know. Um, but I wondered, what if the replicator just kept pouring out enough water to fill a pool? She just said, water, three degrees Celsius. And the replicator's like, okay, here you go. Here's a bucket, and here's another bucket, and here's another bucket, and we'll just keep doing this all day. There are a lot of nice little details throughout the episode that have changed from yeah. what we know. Um, and we talked about this in yesterday's Enterprise, just all the subtle things that have changed, little things in the uniform. The com badge, I think, is really cool looking. Um, the hairstyles, uh, you know, funny that you get the one streak of white for just about everybody. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of maybe weird, interesting, maybe not so great decisions that, that don't hold up as well. But then what's kind of cool about the episode is that the shortcomings can be chalked up to the limited imagination of the child. I mean, it, it, it's funny. The the things that the alien kid did decide to fix were enhanced based on limited knowledge, like Jordy getting his eyes. I, I wonder why something like that would be accessible from ship records, but not, say, Data's inability to use contractions. See, I don't think it was the kid at all. It well, was, I mean, it was the it, neural scanners. Well, right. And, and yeah, it, it's not the kid on his own, but I mean, the, the, these are the kid's toys. Well, you know, the neural scanners belong to the kid. He's basically, he's sort of the, the, shall we say, the dungeon master in this game. He's the one who's sort of calling the shots and, and making things happen the way he wants them to play out, right? Yeah, I, I, well, I would or say. Or just turn it on and let it go. I think he just turns it on and lets it go, honestly, to an extent. Mm. I mean, to witness the fact that, I mean, yeah, the NPCs are obviously trying to get non-player characters. I'm sorry, since you're going to say Dungeon Master, I'm going to, you know, speak in those terms. (laughs) The NPCs are trying to get Riker to the kid because they understand that, I mean, they're really there to serve the child. And what the child Mm -hmm. wants is, you know, uh, somebody else around. At the same time, though, once they've got two people to deal with, then it's trying to please both of them. So so Beverly says, listen, we're going to start this associative therapy. Let's go to your quarters. I mean, what that's really about is giving the kid what he wants. But Mm -hmm. Riker's like, no, 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 I want to go to the bridge. And so he makes that happen instead, right? I mean, so the kid's not calling all the shots. The only shots the kid has called is he wants another player in the game, it seems to me. I, I see, but I, I also think that the kid is kind of an omnipotent player. I mean, the, the kid knows what is going on when he's not necessarily in the room. What makes you, you think, think so? so? 
I, I don't see why you would think that. In fact, I found that a bit interesting that like, so, so uh, Riker passes data off to Tomalock, uh, mm-hmm. vice versa. Riker passes Tomalock right. off to data. He and Troy and Picard go into his ready room. The door right. closes and yet Tomalock and data are still talking. Yes. So, I mean, this, I mean, they, which, which I thought was just a nice way to throw us, the audience off. Well, it may well be, except we've yeah. asked the question before what happens, you know, so when Picard as Dixon Hill leaves a space, does does the conversation continue, mm-hmm. or does the whole thing just stop right there? I, I like the idea to stare at each other, <laughs> just like, just stop, <laughs> just hologram to hologram. Yeah, just it's kind a of deep stare. So I don't think you can really uh, attribute all of the design changes you're talking about to the kid. I think it's just um, I think it's the neural scanners sort of um, extrapolating. I think they're an amazing yeah. bit of technology. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. again, they, they they can predict the future. If they could figure out cloned eyes, then man, let's <laughs> no. Get, but let's Riker is the one who's figuring all of that out, don't you see? <laughs> right, right. Okay. So, so he's holding that idea. Then we're talking about the real Riker. He's he's got that somewhere in the back of his head. Like, man, cloned eyes. Maybe. And it, it took that neural scanner to say, yeah, duh. Yeah, cloned, cloned eyes. eyes, right. <laughs> Yes. And also, okay, so then if it is just hiding in the back of Riker's mind, how about this? Deanna and a Starfleet uniform. Yeah. And it's great. Yeah, it is. It's fantastic. I mean, and I'm not just saying that like, oh, she looks, you know, beautiful. Of course she does. But it, it, she it, having Deanna in a uniform like everybody else seems perfect. It seems like she should have been all along. Well, especially so. if she's going to be working at um, Starfleet um, Command. Mm-hmm. At that, I, mean, mm-hmm. I think they're probably going to, you know, say, All right, seriously, you need a uniform." Yeah, because obviously, if she's at Starfleet Command, it's going to be more of an administrative role anyway, right? She's going to mm-hmm. be like, you know, sort of laying down the law for other people, I would think. And so, yeah. you would need to sort of do the command thing there. It's not going to be so much. So, tell me how you're feeling, right? As, right. as it uh, as it maybe is on the Enterprise. Who is filming all the stuff in the Riker home? <laughs> Because, uh, okay, the, the one moment, the one moment, which is really kind of fun, where the, the kid runs out with the Halloween mask on. Yeah. Um, you, you see that happen, and, and he jumps in Riker's lap. Riker kind of grabs him, and they kind of, you know, tussle a little bit. But but the camera moves constantly. It's like a handheld thing. You do, oh, okay, well, that was his wife. That was Min. Right. We know what's going But then you go to the birthday, and it's like the saddest birthday in the world because it, it's just – it's men and the kid, little Jean-Luc, and then some unknown mystery person behind the camera. I don't that know. That just seemed a little weird to me because that camera's moving as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it is a birthday and they want to record it, so they have somebody come in sure. and do that. It's not as weird as uh, like, whoever was running the camera on and the children shall lead. No, <laughs> that's that's super weird. That yeah. was that was incredibly weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wondered the the more that this uh, simulation happened that uh, Barash had set up, or that the the neural scanners had had set up for him, would the holodecks inside the fake Enterprise work as holodecks? We never actually got to do that. We never got to go on the fishing trip. Oh the wow! Yeah, now, this is yeah meta holodeck. Now we're inside a holodeck inside the Enterprise, which is actually a holodeck simulation. And then if they had bumped into Moriarty. and and finally ken uh, there's there's the line i i'm surprised this line is not remembered as much as if there's nothing wrong with me there must be something wrong with the universe the final line in this well one of the final lines i'll always remember you as jean-luc am i no and i read here verbatim no 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 wrong you will not because Jean-Luc is your captain. This is an alien kid who will be dumped off at the nearest starbase and his technology will be foraged by Starfleet. So, no, that kid will not be remembered as Jean-Luc by Riker. What happens when a Starfleet officer and a hologram mate? Things get a little buggy. I can't remember which episode it was that we were talking about how it felt like a, a return to form for TOS. It was uh, the one with the kid. Oh, that one. Suddenly human. Suddenly human. There we go. It felt like felt like the kind of thing that would have been explored on the original series. Mm-hmm. And 
and, and this one is kind of there as well. And there are a lot of TOS episodes I thought of with this one. But I, I'll mention my kind of top three here. Charlie X, mm-hmm. uh, just poor, lonely kid, an orphan with no real way of knowing how to interact and, and also has a tremendous amount of power. With, but with these computers, with these uh, neural scanners, and they kind of do his bidding. You mm-hmm. know? Um, I thought about the cage, the, this idea of the gilded cage. Um, even if it has, even if the intention of that is not malicious, I mean, the the Tolosians just wanted this sense of pleasure and satisfaction and experimentation they got from holding Pike and from <laughs> people. Right. Wait, you're forgetting the part where they were also going to breed a race of slaves to rebuild the uh, to rebuild the surface for them. Well, there's that too. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but but we also talked about that in the sense that like this is their TV. Yeah, you yeah. Know? No, this I... is their, and they don't really see the 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 ethical problem with that. You know, sure. Um, and, and here's this kid who wants somebody to play with. So I'm going to build this beautiful thing, this beautiful construct that you won't even know isn't real. Um, I thought about the deadly years because I love how TV can get away with the idea that people age just by getting gray streaks in their hair. You know, I, I would have loved to have seen, I, you know, in 20 years, well, 16 years, but we're rounding up. I would love to have seen maybe Worf just really let himself go. <laughs> just really not aged well at all. You know, why or, Worf? I, it, well, you know, because he's he, he's complicated. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Actually, it would have been interesting to see Data with a little bit of a paunch. Oh, sure. Yeah, because yeah. that's more of a, yeah. like trying to be human. You know, it's like mm-hmm. the, like the one time he had a beard. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, work- I'm, I'm yeah. thinking about it. I'm seeing what it looks like. What about thinking maybe Worf had, had given up just so much that he was, you know, he'd show up to work like with the, the, the slippers on and maybe his, <laughs> you know, just with the hair messed up and he just doesn't right. care I, anymore. I, all right. I got one more. Okay. Uh, what if Worf is balding? Oh. But because his hair is weird, we don't. I mean, it, it would just be like, it's like a patch on the side that's gone now. What is that? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Even better. Uh, Squire yeah. of Gothos. I thought of Squire of Gothos, actually. Not that the kid was uh, malevolent by any stretch of the imagination, but I mean, sort of along what you were uh, along the lines of what you're talking about with Charlie X, having um, a tremendous amount of power and not really knowing exactly, you know, how to deal with it or what to do with it. Yeah, no, I like uh, that. So it reminded me of that, too. Not, yeah. n- I mean, there, none of these are actual analog, I don't think, for... Um, for what's going on with this kid, no. By that. But yeah, you're right. There, there, there are hints of a, there are hints of TOS. Uh, there is a, there is a TOS flavor to it once you get the reveal. Yeah, well, and it's one of those things where the the I've said many times that Star Trek is great with the bad guy is not the bad guy. Yeah. There's certainly nothing bad about this kid at all. He's just lonely and sad, and and it's it's kind of heartbreaking. So it, it's a great bit of reveal after you've had this weird Twilight Zone kind of story going on. I thought the psychology of the kid was really interesting. Um, have you ever been around people who manufacture reasons to gain sympathy? Like, and again, I don't think that this kid is malevolent at all. He he's lonely. I mean, that's pretty much the the beginning and the end of it. But the Parisi Square scene is what I'm thinking of. It's very manipulative, hmm. you know. It, insofar as everything this kid is doing is manipulative, but it's manipulative that here's Riker about to. And, and this is probably one of the reasons that I'm thinking that the kid does know what's happening, even when he's not in the scene. Because here's Riker in another place about to get information that could lead him to discover this is a hoax. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and then what happens right at the perfect timing for this to happen? He gets the call from Sick Bay. Oh, your son's been injured. Oh, I, I got to drop everything and go there. And it's a way to manufacture the sympathy for the child so then his mind is not on the job or anything else at that point. It's only on the child. Um, See? Okay, so that's that's really interesting because I, d- I did not get the sense that the kid – what if it's the machine? Like what if the machine knocked him off the ramp during Parisi Squares because the machine has this job of keeping them both happy and keeping the charade going? Wow, what a terrible machine. And then does the kid... It's not a terrible <laughs> machine. It didn't hurt the kid. I mean, it, well, hurt, yeah, the, well, it hurt the kid, but they can fix it, it right away. Well, broke his wrist. Well, broke his wrist. But he'll be fine in one minute. 
That is actually what that is actually what Crusher said. He broke his wrist, but it'll be fine in one minute. But this goes down a really weird part of this conversation then, because if if Barash, Ethan, little Jean-Luc, mm-hmm. knows that the neural scanners are doing everything they can to satisfy his desires, which is to, to have this companionship, to have this father figure. Does he just sort of go with those, you know, go with the lumps, go with the punches and just say like, oh, well, this time the neural scanners decided to break my wrist. I guess that's all for the better part of this simulation. I guess that means that it'll work out okay in the end because the computer knows what's best. Well, it does know that it's there to bring him everything that he wants. It, even I mean, if that includes that. a broken wrist. Well, I yeah. don't think he wants a broken wrist, but right, what he wants is, is to have this father figure, and so the thing yeah. wants to bring that to him. And so to do that, you know, yeah, maybe he does uh, Maybe he does hurt the kid a tiny bit. I'm not saying yeah. it's good. I'm just saying, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think the kid is as smart as you're making the kid in this. I think the kid really is what he says he is. He's a lonely kid who's, you know, doing something dumb to try to make everybody happy, right? Yeah. He, he he brings Riker there, and he knows that this this machine is set up to give him everything he could possibly want. So then he gets Riker. He like gets Riker there and figures the same thing's going to happen to Riker. They'll have each other, and they'll both have everything that they want, and that's plenty. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. yeah, I gotta I gotta figure that it's actually the I gotta figure it's the technology that's set up around him that's kind of. Uh, Calling the moment-to-moment shots. It's the one that's mm-hmm. thinking things like clone dies and, you know, and sure. yeah, I would probably have to hurt the kid a little bit, but that's going to distract Riker and that's going to make them both happy. I, I just say, if I were the kid and I owned the machine, I'd be like, okay, this is great. Stop breaking my wrist. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Except the kid doesn't that. even necessarily okay. know that it was the machine that broke his wrist. What the kid knows is he fell off a ramp playing Parisi Squares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not saying go. it was the machine. I don't know. It's just, I mean, you're right. The coincidence is a bit much unless the kid was going to break his own wrist. But I don't see the kid being that manipulative. And at the same time, I don't see the kid being happy with the machine if it knew the machine was hurting it. I don't think the kid, I, I think it's happening. <laughs> the <laughs> right whole thing that. is manufactured. The machine is having to run itself and it's having to run all of the the few variables that it has in such a way that the whole thing stays together. Yeah. Well, it's it, it, it's weird the longer we talk about it. Yeah, no, it um, is. It's very strange. Yeah. Uh, there's actually a, a good kind of fulfillment for Riker here, um, that he stays on that path of not being the man that his father was. Mm. Because he, he hasn't had an opportunity to sort of grow that part of himself because obviously that that missing 16 years is not a missing 16 years he he was the same guy right. that he woke up as that morning um but he just sort of kicks into that instinctually he goes into that you know protective father mode so he he is a different guy than his father that, that's really interesting to see and to see it fulfilled here and to show us all what a good guy he really is when he learns the truth about his child he stays when, when Jean-Luc becomes Ethan, becomes Barash, um, he, he doesn't leave he, he puts his arm around him, this very kind of touching thing, and they both beam up. And um, and he's there to stay at least until sometime between now and next week when that kid will be dropped <laughs> off at a starbase. You know. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe they send him down below decks. Oh, yeah. Well, Maybe we, we need somebody else to help you potatoes. He'll be hanging out with you and <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what I found interesting was that Riker has almost everything he wants, but he can't accept it. And, you know, for those mm. of you wishing that this was a radio show so that you could change the station, I'm not going to do the <laughs> usual, you know, argument against struggle for the sake of struggle. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could argue that Riker doesn't have everything that he wants in this, you know, made up world because he doesn't have men. Or, um, you know, any wife or any sort of companionship. But I think I think really what he wants is the experience of having gotten the things that he gets, right? He wants the memories. Because otherwise it's just stuff that's been handed to him. And and I think I don't think I don't think Riker is a guy I mean, you know, if if he got he'd be perfectly happy with Menuet. We talked about this during um one one zero zero one zero zero one. He'd be perfectly happy. Thank you. He'd be perfectly happy with Minuet. And so I don't think he's like the kind of guy who's always going to be like, no, 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 happiness is not for me because I have to keep uh, slogging. 
but I, I I do think that he he needs the the what's the word I'm looking for the the connectivity. I think he needs the the continuity of the whole thing. I thought I thought of um I think it was was it Cipher was that the Joe Pantoliano character? Oh yeah, in the Matrix. Uh, yeah. He wants to go back into the Matrix. He tells Agent Smith that he wants an awesome life, and he doesn't want to remember anything about this life. Mm-hmm. And so, like I say, whether it's a need for continuity or just you know a desire to savor the experience, Riker can't wake up and have everything be perfect. He needs he needs to make his way to that, which I think is perfectly sensible. I I, I don't I mean depending on how good the alternate life you put me in is, I don't know whether I would need that or not. But I tend to think. If you just told me no, 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 you just don't remember, but it's been fine. I am gonna, I, I am gonna spend some time trying to figure out uh, what happened there. Um, well, I think that would be the frustrating part of it. I mean, it, it's not that things are perfect. Yeah, it, but it, the frustrating part is the not remembering part. Right. You know uh, that. I think that would be the the torture of it all. Um, so, because clearly he he does develop this bond, yeah, um, and that's real. It's as real a reaction as he has to Minuet or to anybody else, yeah. Um, but I, I think the frustration of it is just not knowing where the experience came from. I, it, you know, it maybe I, I I wonder since memories can be sort of tweaked and altered and manufactured, if this thing had gone on for a year or five years, or ten years, <laughs> you know? And you come back and you find Riker, who really is older, who is continuing to live in the simulation because he doesn't know any differently. I would imagine that his brain would have manufactured those memories to fill the gaps. Probably so. Well, I mean, even yeah. if even if he doesn't remember them, Jean-Luc would have told him about them. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, the laggy yeah. computer is explained away in universe by the fact that Jordy is having trouble with the level one diagnostic. The real reason for the laggy computer is every time they throw something at him or every time he throws something at it, yeah. that it's not anticipating. It has to go ahead and figure out, OK, what what would actually make him happy here? And then has to figure out how to translate it into life on the Enterprise. And then it goes ahead and delivers that. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it might even be able just to show him videos of all the things. So even if he doesn't remember it, he's seen it a million times, and mm-hmm. and it becomes part of becomes part of who he was. The yeah. other thing that I thought was really interesting about what was going on with Riker, if we assume that the neural scanners are giving him everything he wants, minus sixteen years and and his holographic wife, it's interesting that not only does he want peace with the Romulans, but he mm. wants that peace to come through conversation with a very specific enemy, and he wants to be the guy to do it. Yeah. I mean, unless there's just a lot of creative writing being done by the holodeck program, which is possible. Take Troy being gone, for example. I mean, there th- that doesn't seem like anything that Riker would ever want, ever, unless the uh, neural scanners have to write her off <laughs> So that they can write in men, right? Mm-hmm. So they can make that more mm-hmm. plausible. But I, I found I found the things that, and and again, I think Riker is only having a hard time with it because he can't remember. But if we're assuming that the neural scanners are drawing out, if that they're extrapolating from what they found in his brain, yeah, he sees peace with the Romulans. He he and he would he would he would be right there with the Kirk speech from Corbomite. Yeah, they're the Romulans. Fire! Oh no, wait, don't fire because they're in trouble. Well, leave them. Well, we can't. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm going to go right, get them right. then. Hey, right. look what happened! I saved the galaxy. I've now made an alliance with our you know 70 years sworn enemies, uh, the Romulans, or however many years before that. Um, well, it's interesting that that speaks to who Riker is, but it, it speaks to it speaks to his job and it speaks to Starfleet because if Okay, we'll, we'll go with Tomalak because here's a, a figure that left an impression on Riker and, and represents in the back of his mind, here's this big enemy out there. Like the Klingons aren't really enemies anymore and, and we've encountered beings that, that maybe we had an antagonistic relationship with to, on some level, but, but this, is no, uh, this is no Kevin Oxbridge. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, but the Romulans are sort of the big bad floating out there that are a constant threat to the Federation, at least so far as the the neutral zone goes. And Tomalak represents that. So if that's what's floating around in 
Riker's brain. But the other thing that's floating around in Riker's brain is that all of his Starfleet training is that what he does, he does for peace. Mm-hmm. And what the Enterprise does is a mission of peace. So it's interesting then that that, that is the, the storyline that would kind of come together in, in the best way possible for for Riker's imagined future. Yeah. It's, it's very cool. Yeah. There, uh, a couple other things really quickly. Lots more Klingons on the ship. Oh, yeah, right. And, and that right. there is a second yeah. one, but that's, you know, up 100% from what it was the week before. <laughs> uh, but there's, right. there's a Ferengi. Yes. Sitting there yes. as well. Uh, it, yeah. it just, you, you sort of jarred that in my memory when you said that, you know, uh, thing, people that we've encountered who aren't exactly the big bad enemy. I mean, not only right. are the Ferengi no longer the big bad enemy, there's one in a Starfleet uniform. Yeah. Which is, uh, we've never seen anything like that yet in Star <laughs> right. Trek. Working with right. the Ferengi. What? <laughs> Crazy. I know. Um, let's talk about Minuet for a second. Oh, let's because... talk about Minuet for an hour. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Tomalak. Yeah. The, the hollow Tomalak has yeah. a line. In your mind, she exists. Your feelings toward her remain quite passionate. Ah. This goes back to the conversation we had about Minuet at the time. Yeah. And, and really kind of the conversation we've been having about data more recently. Mm-hmm. What's the difference if someone is real or not if our reactions to them are the same? Um, that's, a, that's an excellent question. And I don't have an answer, which is surprising because, yeah. I, I don't expect – no, but I, I don't expect you to have a, an answer. It's a rhetorical for you. It's also rhetorical for our listeners because this is the kind of conversation that I think we've been having a lot via email and online comments and on our website. And it's a sort of argument about, well, data – you know, you draw a line here with data. Mm-hmm. And sure, you you can draw a line with data because data is a manufactured being. But at a point, that is academic. Because if everybody around data is concerned for him, cares for him, has whatever level you want to call it, has some sort of emotional reaction to him and with him, then that line becomes a lot blurrier and certainly it was with minuet because this as we know now a couple of years later has had quite an impact on Riker. that to me is the sad part i mean she doesn't exist this isn't even like an x you know where maybe mm-hmm. we could work things out or you know she changed or whatever i mean this is she just doesn't exist and 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 i don't mean that in a way of like well she's a hologram she doesn't exist i mean he can't get the program back I mean, she is, yeah. I mean, she's like, I mean, yeah, she died and he's still yeah. very much in love with her and there's, and there's no, there's no getting that back. And that's, honestly, it's heartbreaking. I mean, when you realize that that's what the whole thing hinges on and, and he doesn't even, he doesn't deal with the heartbreak this time the way he did last time, maybe because there's too much other stuff going on, but it's absolutely amazing that we've had, she was first season, wasn't she? Or was she second season? Uh, first season. She was yeah. first season. So whatever, yeah. however time runs in seasons, it's been that long. And still, yeah. when they're looking in his mind for like the perfect woman, that's still her. And that's just that's just that's just sad. And I don't mean sad like Riker. That's sad. I mean that's just that's heartbreaking. <laughs> I mean it really is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was one other thing that I wondered about, and it sort of goes with the whole mind bleepery of this episode. Mm-hmm. Is there anything to be made of the fact that in the galaxy of real people, what Riker wants most is a person who doesn't exist? Mm-hmm. And then on this planet of infinite fake people, uh, what, what Barash wants most is one real person. I mean, we're almost mm-hmm. back to that Matrix thing again when Agent Smith said, you know, people couldn't handle everything being perfect. It's like what Barash needs is something that's not catering to us every whim. It's like he needs a variable. I mean, because otherwise, you know, he gets up every day and every day is great. And however many sons his planet had and, you know, all the other bug-eyed monsters just like him or, yeah. or greys or whatever they are, um, yeah. you know, could be perfect. But, I mean, the problem is it's perfect, right? And what he needs is, is just one real interaction, which I assume, you know, means for the first time in however long, not knowing how that interaction is going to go. 
It's just it's just kind of interesting that, you know, Riker has this whole world of reality and the thing he wants most is is I don't want to say fake, but you know, not real. And then mm-hmm. and then conversely, uh, Barash has this whole world of, of imagination and the one thing he wants is, is something that 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 he can't control. A lot happened for Riker in less than an afternoon. What can we take away from Future Imperfect? All right, Ken, Future Imperfect. We've arrived at the place where we ask each other the big three questions, and we kick it off with, does the episode hold up? So I ask you, Ken, does Future Imperfect hold up? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Next question. All right. Good job. You have <laughs> Los Angeles. I'm glad you're there. <laughs> and honestly, the first time I watched it, I thought, well, that was really exciting, but I don't think there's anything to talk about. And I guess maybe I was half asleep or something because, you know, obviously we found a tremendous amount of stuff to talk about in it. Yes. I mean, as a as a sort of borderline Twilight Zone original series episode, I thought it was really good. They give you enough hints that you don't – I mean, obviously, we are meant to think that it's the Romulans all the way through. But there are a couple of times where Riker gives the kid a look as well that you're like, well, okay, wait a minute. And how is it that it's only the kid who knows how to talk to the computer and get out of it what he wants? Or is he just stalling? But, I mean, it, it, you you still don't know what's going on until right at the very end. And, and that's kind of a fun thing uh, to see. Um, the little changes like you're talking about, I mean, you say it's just one streak of gray hair that makes you uh, makes you look older. That's actually not true. I mean, they did a good job with Beverly's makeup. They did an okay job with, uh, with Riker's makeup. They did a great job, actually, on Troy, I think, yeah. um, aging her. Uh, in a in a not so comical way, Picard looked pretty comical. Actually, it's like, oh well, let's grow his hair out, but we'll still give him the Picard. Okay, well, no, <laughs> just give him the goatee and be done with it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot. I think yes, I think this episode holds up very well. I mean, the 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 misdirection and the misdirection and the misdirection, and also just getting to see people in different ways. Um, Data doesn't look good in red. He needs a gold thing <laughs> there, yeah. and it was neat to see Jordy's eyes. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's it's it, it's it's just a fun episode on a lot of levels. That genuine moment at the birthday party, yeah, yeah I'd say this episode works uh, really well. Um, I think it holds up really well. I should say. What about you? Yeah, um, I, you know, look, the the alien makeup and costume at the end does not hold up at all. That's true. I, it's I it's just, like forty five it, seconds though. Oh, right. Yeah. This is very cardboard. It's very fake. But again, it's sort of like watching Devil in the Dark. If all you're focused on is that here's a blob that doesn't really scare me or a big or or <laughs> because it looks just sort of like right. a silicone blob. OK, then you're missing the point of the story. Um, this is another one of those episodes that I like more the second or third time around. Yeah. Um, it, it's a weird thing. I was listening to some show, and I can't remember which, uh, but very recently, and they were talking about spoilers and how that really just may not be a thing anymore, that we actually enjoy things the the more we see them. We enjoy stories more when we know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, look at, say, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you sort of are predicting in your head, okay, these are the relationships, these are the things I know I need to care about, these are the things that will happen in this movie, but you still enjoy it, you know. So I enjoyed going back and paying attention to all those clues, but especially watching Ethan, because every interaction, every line, every moment, when you know what's happening, you read a whole new subtext into the scenes with Riker on the Enterprise, and that was really cool to see. Um, it, it was nice to sort of connect those dots in your head after you've after you've pieced it all together, after you've seen the big reveal in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it does have that Twilight Zone feel to it. I think that it, it holds up just as a bit of sci-fi mystery 
you know, what, what's really going on here and how will this guy get out of it? And then he does. So it, it holds up as that story just to kind of get you from point A to point B. Um, but then, but then there were ideas in there too, at least, at least the ones that we were able to kind of pull apart. Um, what about messages? What, uh, what maybe did you find in it? For me personally, this is not a message episode. And that was honestly the first time I watched it. That was part of my frustration. Uh, it feels to me like we are, I mean, we didn't have suddenly human, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we're getting more and more away from the uh, message type episodes, it seems. As we get more into character development, we're getting more away from the message type episodes. I like the fact that we learn a bit about Riker. I mean, assuming, again, that the neural scanners are drawing everything that they're drawing from his head. He sees peace as a possibility. He sees himself being a part of a lasting peace between warring factions, uh, between the Federation and the Romulans. That's kind of a neat thing. To find out his, his level of, of love, call it love, but to find out his level of love for Minuet is sad. Uh, to find out how he wants to go ahead and step up as a father, even though he doesn't, he never thought he wanted to be a father, doesn't really know how to be a father, but, you know, he finds himself in that situation, and man, he wants to show up for it, because, because why? Because he wants to be the best dad he can be, because his dad was no kind of dad? I mean, it, it, it's mm -hmm. it's neat mm -hmm. to find out all this stuff about this character, but, I mean, ultimately that, I mean, so then do you want to be more like Riker? Do you want to be less like Riker? I mean, I suppose he can be inspirational in that way, but we're not getting the, you see, Timmy, we're not getting the Corbomite. We're not getting suddenly human. We're getting, oh, that's an interesting thing that happened to this character, I think. Yeah. So yeah. message, I would either have to say there isn't one or pass. What about you? Hmm. Okay. Uh, I, I think there's a bit in there. I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned the Corbin Mike maneuver and, and kind of steered away from that um, because I, I think something like that and like Devil in the Dark, again, we're, we're back at the Star Trek theme of the, the enemy not being the enemy, but, but something to be understood and something to have some sympathy for him. I mean, hmm. with, with Riker, the, the message here is that the relationship starts when you reach out with honesty and with an open heart. Hmm. You know, Riker had every reason to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, except you say that, I mean, we know that, I mean, that's also where the relationship ends this time. He's, well, he's not going to be there next week. And maybe uh, there's, don't, maybe don't, there's, don't, don't tell me that, Ken. Don't, don't tell well, that's me That's what that. you told me. I, I, I'm I'm doing that based on what you said. What do I know? Yeah, no, I assume he's I, actually he's going to be in the uh, nursery with Alexander on those odd weekends that Alexander comes to visit. And and the puppies. And the puppies. Oh, don't talk puppies. about the puppies. Like, you're going to bring up the puppies and Minuet in the same episode? Why don't you just oh, shoot oh, me? Just, just heartbreaking. <sighs> No, but I mean, uh, Riker has every reason to be on guard and to be skeptical about what's going on around him. Absolutely, he does. Mm -hmm. But he also opens his heart to this kid. And and the kid, by the end of it, is a real, well, he's not human, but he's a real person mm -hmm. with with uh, an honest need and, and with a need for some guidance and for some friendship. So what we see at the end is really the start of this other character's journey and yeah it's it, it's kind of unfortunate we will never hear from him again <laughs> maybe there's a book somewhere <laughs> I, know, so. I know some writers i know some writers yeah. um but the other part of that is that a little forgiveness goes a long way too you know uh riker has been rightly infuriated by what's going on by this feeling of sort of invasion of messing with his life yeah but he gets it. He gets it at the end. And, and that's dropped because he's decided to try to understand who this other person is and, and forgive the, the reasons that brought him there. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really touching ending. And um, I, I, think, I think those are some messages to be found in there. All right. Yeah. And we said last week we weren't going to ask anymore. So we'll just go ahead and say, if you found a message in there, then it holds up for you. Yeah, is that, is, <laughs> there you is go. That fair? I think that's good. I think that's perfectly fair. All right. All right. Cool. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. For more, you can visit roddenberry.com. 
they'll find a lot of stuff there, including the store, including links to the Roddenberry Foundation and all the other projects that Roddenberry Entertainment is up to. And for more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. See, maybe this is why I was so confused at the beginning of today's show. And Mm -hmm. next week, Final Mission. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. The best news of this whole episode. Riker was gone such a short time, he can probably go back to his birthday party. And that's sad, sad, cake. And transmission.